Good Wednesday morning. Today is going to be a brief podcast, but John and I were having a conversation offline and we're talking about one of my oldest kids, uh, Levi is 10 years old, and we're just talking about school, education. Um, I had the benefit of John staying with us and my family when he was here in Boise speaking. And so we got a we had dinner and lots of nights together and he got to hang out with my kids and my wife and us. And so one of the things I'm chewing on as a father is uh, how to raise my kids, how to direct them academically in jobs. And my oldest can maybe get distracted in school and things like that. And so John and I have multiple talks about that, but I wanted to hit record so you guys could hear it because you guys might be helped about it as you're raising your own kids. The best thing that can happen at school is when somebody finds a passion for life. And when they do, uh, the thing is to encourage it. I love the fact, for instance, I went to the same school as Tolkien, a generation after him. And he played truant a great deal in his final year at high school. And the school did absolutely nothing about it because they knew where he was and what he was doing. He was down the street in the coffee shop teaching himself Icelandic. Can you see what that final year at high school did? It gave us the Lord of the Rings in due course because it, it allowed Tolkien to think before he went to university what really interested him and became... I think the first professor of, uh, or second professor of philology at Oxford, his uh, obsession with the, the Icelandic and the North sagas led to The Lord of the Rings, the, the most uh, sold book of the 20th century after the Bible, I think. Yeah, that's an amazing response. That was a school smart enough to know that Tolkien was going to go to Oxford anyway because his grades without doing any work were enough for that and he would have an interview and they'd take him in, which is, of course, what happened. Really smart people are different, just like athletes who can do what uh, a top athlete can do are not normal. They're way out on the end of the, the normal distribution curve. That's the way it is, so... When you're looking at your children or hating school, the important thing, if you can, is to find something that they enjoy doing. Now, for my children, the oldest, uh, Ajana, who's a, a missionary in Malawi and has been picking up abandoned children for years, 20 years, and then raising them to uh, adult life, and just sent this year, this Christmas, her Christmas letter included a description of having 33 of those children with spouses and children uh, to a celebration dinner, the base where they've raised them. That, that's mission accomplished in a very real way. A third of the children who've gone through uh, turn up married with children, not without problems, of course, but compared to what you would expect for a child abandoned, unbelievable. Uh, but we didn't discover her real gifts. Uh, she was a good student. She just liked pleasing and she worked well but when she came to uh, when we came to Canada the school she went to had an orchestra with instruments and so she had a, a flute put in her hand and within no time flat she was playing tunes she was a natural for the flute she doesn't need music she can just play it took her a while to realize that because she's quite naive in some ways you know uh, doesn't understand her talent, but very useful in uh, flute for the work she's done in the Christian arena because she can play the, the rather banal tunes that we require for most of our praise songs without any music because it doesn't require any. 
that was her. The second one, we knew there was something different about her very, very quickly because uh, my wife ran uh, a painting class for children. And it was a playgroup with painting as one of the main activities in Jamaica. And the first time Cathy got finger paint, she didn't make a mess. Uh, she got the colors and she moved them around very carefully, uh, not having them all run together. And we had that. We probably still had the picture lying around somewhere in the house. It was on our fridge for a long while because it was abstract art. But the child had a sense of color and how to arrange that color. And all around me in this room, there are paintings by Cathy. Uh, so I found an artist and she had some Saturday morning lessons. And then she was on her own after that. Um, paints in her own style. And it's one of the joys of her life, along with her family. Uh, the third one, she's the only one of whom I have a photograph on my desk simply because it's so beautiful. More than any of the rest of my children, she threw herself heart and soul into working for me in her early teens uh, and up to university in Africa, resuscitating malnourished children, picking them up near death and bringing them back to life. Uh, all my children did some of that, except Joanna, who was too old to, for that stage. Uh, she'd moved on, but the other three all worked for me, and I paid for their first degree. But the photograph is of Nicola. I should get it sometime and bring it and show it to you. Um, with a child on her shoulder, and the physician, wonderful physician at Nundu, uh, carried a camera around, a good photographer, and he caught her. They're looking at one another. She's utterly unaware. She's not dressed up in any fancy way. She's working. But they're looking at one another with love. And it is a beautiful picture. It can bring me to tears. The last one, Jonathan, he was a good student too. I never asked my kids about marks ever because I had no interest in the marks that the education system gave out. Uh, I asked them what they'd learned every day, and if it was wrong, I corrected it and uh, asked them the questions to get going. So there was always lots of conversation at a dining room table, and it wasn't trivial. So uh, he, get, he gets to go to university, and I ask him, where have you applied? Because I told him, I'm not applying for you. Uh, I did it myself. You can do it yourself. And... Uh, he said, well, I haven't got round to doing it. We have that in common. We both procrastinate. And I said, well, what are your marks like? What are you interested in? He said, I enjoy everything. I said, are your marks what people might call obscenely good? Many said, some people would say so. Uh, I said, well, McMaster's combined arts and science program would be best for you because you don't have to make up your mind what you want to do uh, for another four years. And we got him in. And uh, he'd never been picked out at school for awards or anything like that. He always had good marks. He didn't spend hours and hours working on at home. Uh, it wasn't until he got to the end of the undergraduate program, uh, but uh, right at the beginning I realized what what was going to happen, and he took years to come to terms with it because um, 
He was on the bridge in Goma with his mother when the refugees were flooding across from Rwanda into Zaire to get away from the Tutsi. Uh, and only the missionaries were there at that point. The uh, UN hadn't arrived, and it was chaos. But he was watching at the bridge, and he knew that there was a form of mathematics which would allow him on with some sampling to work out reasonable estimates of what they would require. They were just guessing, and they guessed wrong in many respects. Uh, but, of course, they weren't going to listen to a 17-year-old, So, and he didn't know how to do the math. He simply knew it existed. But uh, I took him to university, and when we got back in September, and a few weeks later I was in the area, and said, I'll take you and your friends out to an eat-as-much-as-you-can restaurant, because that way I'd find out how he was actually doing. And I was talking to one and said, how's Jonathan doing? He said, oh, he's fine. Uh, he doesn't go to math class. He doesn't go to statistics classes, though. Oh, I said, why? He, well, he, he said he listened to the guy once. He said he can't teach. I'll do it from the book. Um, so we go to the glass and bring the problems over home to him, and he tells us how to answer them. So I knew I'd got a mathematician on my hands. But he didn't enjoy that fact at all. Uh, he loved uh, history and philosophy more than anything else. Uh, it gets to the end of his undergraduate, and I said, well, where are you going to do a graduate program? He said, I haven't applied. He said, I did the LSAT and got very high marks, so I, any law school would take me, and I'm interested in justice, but I don't think the law is interested in justice, so I don't know. And then the university had put him in for a mathematics award and so he got a national award and he could go to any graduate program in Canada free. And he found one guy who was specialising in the form of mathematics that four years earlier he would have wished to have known. And it just shows how God works. Uh, so he he called the 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 University of British Columbia, and they flew him out to meet this guy. He walked in, and uh, Jonathan was wearing an InterVarsity Christian Fellowship sweatshirt, and the guy looked at his sweatshirt and then pointed to his notice board. Um, he was Christian. He was also a saint, because a few weeks later, he called uh, Jonathan in and said, I'm moving you to another prof. I would be exploiting you if I kept you. Uh, he could; He's much more suitable to you than I am. It was in the business school, an American who loved the boy, and uh, he, did his, he did his master's in no time flat. And then this American said, yeah, you have to do a PhD. And Jonathan still hadn't accepted that he was a mathematician. He said, I don't think I'm a mathematician. The guy said, don't be stupid. But he said, anyway, uh, I'm going to do an internship in St. John Shaughnessy's church for two years before I do anything else. The guy couldn't believe it. In the end, it was the prophet who said, sign here, sign here. And one was Stanford, the other was MIT. And both sent him a ticket and both offered him a fully funded PhD. Uh, he took the one at uh, Stanford and about, I don't know, six months in, he called me and said, are you sitting down? I said, yes, why? He said, I'm leaving Stanford. I said, why? He said, they just want to use the gifts God has given me to make rich men richer. 
I want to make health systems work better for the poor, and nobody's tried to do that with these methods. I think it can be done. So I'm leaving Stanford and going back to UBC. He said, you don't sound upset. I said, well, Jonathan, it would be a bit hypocritical. I did the same to Harvard when we came across the Atlantic for the same reason. So it must be in our genes somewhere. Uh, you can't plan those kinds of things. You pray about those things. All right, John, let me ask you some questions. So I have a 10-year-old son. You got to experience him when you were in town. Um, I've talked to you about him. Sometimes he isn't paying attention in class. Some things you were encouraging me that you would maybe encourage other people too, but you're telling me, hey, find what he's good at and push into that to the point to where you just said that might even mean taking him out of school, letting him get homeschooled, maybe finding a retired teacher who wants to focus on it. My my brain does not think that way, and so I kind of want to dive deeper into that. What are you thinking when you say that? Well, when you have a passion, uh, you're bored with the normal progress with other people. That's why real PhD posts, you don't usually get to do your own work till you're a postdoc. Because I had my own funds, I did it as a PhD. Because no boss would have been able to say to me, do that, because there was no reason it should work. It was a passion that I wanted to do. It did work, as it happened. But... So if somebody's good at, say, mathematics, then don't take him out of the math class, at least if you can find a retired mathematician to teach him who will enjoy teaching a kid who's really got a mathematical ability. And he won't get bored stiff, which he will be in the normal class where some kids just don't get it. Uh, you might then think about taking him out of class altogether because as long as you can read and count and you're polite at 10, you're ahead of the curve in the modern world. And if you don't kill their passion, you encourage it. It can be good. I mean, Lewis's father, Lewis was sent off to, to a famous public school, and he hated it. And his father was smart enough to send him to the Great Knock. Read the, the chapter on the Great Knock in uh, Surprised by Joy. There was a teacher his father knew and he sent Lewis to stay with him, realizing he was good at classics. And so this guy opened up the classics for him. And he went on to do PPE, whatever he did, classics. And jumping back, you had mentioned a story right before I hit record about a gentleman who discovered, I think it was a skull, was it Lucy? And then he had a son with him. And then that son became an archaeologist. Oh, that, that, that wasn't YouTube. No. Uh, I've, I've forgotten the name of the guy. That's the trouble. He was the his father was the archaeologist who found the Lucy skull in Kenya. Yeah, uh, this boy had worked with his father on the sites all the while. So by the time he was twelve, I think it was twelve, he hadn't learned to read and write formally. Yeah, he could do all that was needed for his father. And of course, he once he took a break, he got that nailed in no time flat. But, but you, you see, shared that example passion. because... Well, he was he was fascinated by what his father was doing. Yeah. Digging up the past. If you find Versus being in like traditional yeah. school. George Stevenson built his first steam engine before he could read and write. Is he? But he'd been, in a, he'd been working in the pits. Uh, so he'd helped to run the pumps there. But nobody had had the idea of putting the pump engine on wheels and producing a locomotive. That's what George Stevenson did. 
couldn't read yeah. or write. But he, he, he'd acquired his skills uh, practically. He'd helped take the pump to pieces and put it back together again, so he had some sense of how to do it. Mm-hmm. And he did it. Made sure his son got educated, and then when his son uh, came back from school every day, he had to go through the whole day with his father. And he learned to read and write quite quickly. The The story is beautifully told in uh, The Birth of the Modern by Paul Johnson. Just okay. The Birth of the Modern, Paul Johnson. Look up George Stevenson. It's only a page or so he tells the story. If you guys enjoyed this, I'd be curious to hear feedback. Um, I'm always trying to figure out ways that I can push John to maybe get off the beaten path that he's used to. Uh, so if this was helpful to you, leave a comment. Let us know. If you're watching on YouTube, leave a comment or shoot John an email. With that being said, we'll see you guys next week. Mm-hmm.